You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Limited Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us once again today is a return guest, Tom Dockin. Tom, welcome back to the Ducks Limited Podcast. Hey, nice to be back, Chris. Thanks for the invite. And we're bringing Tom back on on behalf of Sport Dog Brand. And, you know, we're going to get into the weeds of e-collars and some of the awesome tools that Sport Dog Brand has. And Tom and I kind of talked offline before this to decide how to approach this conversation. And I thought it would really be best to start out with this as, you know, the overall lifespan of a retriever starting at the very beginning, you know, some of the first things that a trainer would be doing, you know, to introduce a collar. So, so Tom, let's go ahead and start there. Um, you know, introducing the collar to a young dog. What age are you looking at here and how do you start that process? Yeah. And I think, I think what we really need to start with would be what we're going to do preparation wise before we would even start introducing the collar uh, in a training scenario. So I'll go through that a little bit first. Mm -hmm. What we're going to want to do, let me give you my time frame on when I would start. Now, every trainer might be different on this, but I'm going to start right around that eight month of age bracket uh, when I'm going to introduce the remote collar. The reason I'm going to start at that age is I want to make sure that that young dog has a really, really solid foundation with the leash on all of its basic commands. Mm -hmm. You know, let's just go through like coming, sitting, staying, uh, laying down, the place command, which means to get on something, and the kennel command, which means to get into something. So to frame this, a remote collar is a reinforcement tool. It reinforces what your dog has already been taught. So we're not going to start off by teaching a dog with a remote collar. We're going to reinforce commands. So that means you have to have done your homework and have them really sharp on those commands. Now, somebody could say, well, hey, he's 10 weeks old. He's coming. He's sitting. He's staying. He's laying down. I got all these things. I'm going to start the collar. No, yeah. that, that's really not how it works. You need a lot of repetition on these commands to the point where everything is automatic. Now, what I am going to do by the time they get, oh, let's say around that four-month age stage, I'm going to have them start wearing the remote collar. And I'm not going to be using it, but they're going to wear it. So I'm, I'm going to put it on them before we go out and start doing any training. But here's mm -hmm. the key for anybody you know at home is when you put the collar on, I want you to do something fun with the dog right after you put it on. Now, every dog's different. So what's fun for one dog is going to be different for another one. And the reason we do this is I want them to think that the collar gives them freedom. And some people would go, well, I don't know about that. I, I want my dog to know that when I put that collar on, he needs to start you know, listening to me. Well, here's what happens 
if if you start putting the collar on your dog and then start making corrections, your dog is going to get collar wise. And collar wise means when the collar's on me, I'm going to listen to you. When you take <laughs> the collar off, I'm not going to listen. <laughs> I've been around dogs like that. Uh, yep. You know, and and I think it is it is a good a good. You make a really really good point to do something really fun as soon as you put the collar on to make to get the dog excited. Because I've also been around a lot of dogs that, you know, the handler will just get the collar out of the bag and you can see that dog's just fired up and ready to, and they know that they're going to be doing something fun. And that's a, that's a very good point that I hope our listeners picked up on. Um, but yeah, the, the collar conditioning type thing, that's something I've experienced as well. Um, how do you go about avoiding that? Well, the, the whole idea there is to, to finish that off is I don't want them to ever know that the reason they listen is because the collar is on them. Because by doing this, you know, in in this particular manner, they're going to listen when the collar is off of them as well. So my dogs will never know that the reason they listen is because the collar is on. And that's really important because, you know, you get them to the point where they're collar-wise, it's really hard to get them over that. And then when that collar is off of them, they're going to just give you a whole different attitude. So super, super important to do that. Uh, get them used to that. Then, then what we're going to do is we're not going to try to introduce all of the commands at once. And here's an important fact. We always start at the lowest setting on the remote collar. Sport Dog brand, you know, you can set their, their collars down, which is just fantastic. You can go to a level one. Now, there's seven levels on the dial, so one through seven. But you can set the collar unit down to a one level, a two level, or a three level. And the lighter it is, and, and in fact, probably the first on a number one level, uh, you may not even feel anything if you put the, the contact points on your hand. You may not feel anything, you know, for the first three levels on the dial at all. And the whole idea is that you just start off as light as you can. Now, we're going to use the leash because our dog is very familiar with doing all the commands with the leash. And you're going to, one of the, probably the ones that you could start with, and everybody might be different on this too, is most dogs uh, on a healing standpoint, uh, they're always going to be pulling or a lot of them just pull on that cord. They're just going to keep pulling on the leash. So I will use this, the remote collar in conjunction with the leash. So let's just say your dog is, you know, going for a walk and your dog is going to you know, be pulling. What I'm going to do is I'll, I'll have my finger on the button the remote uh, collar. And then when I, when I give a little pull on the leash, I'll hit the button as well. So what we're looking for, uh, and that's just, you know, that's just one command, but what we're looking for is your dog's acknowledgement that it actually feels a little something with the remote collar. So you start at the lightest level and what you might see initially is if you're, if the dog is feeling some contact, you might see their ear twitch. Uh, you, you might see uh, them blink or you might see uh, you know, them something like they'll scratch their neck, you know, kind of like, hey, I feel something there. So you're at least looking for something where the dog acknowledges it feels feels the collar. And then I'll start off with maybe that one command healing. And, and gradually you're going to see once you start going up the line, your dog's not responsive, not responsive. And all of a sudden, when you give a little tug on the leash, you're going to see the dog, you know, start to, okay, I'm not going to be pulling. I'm going to pull a little less, a little less, a little less. Now, you're going to have a variety of commands you're going to work on, but work on one first before you go anywhere else. Now, I'm going to also say I don't want you using that remote collar while your dog is doing any retrieving at this point. I don't want them to have to be concerned with 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 any kind of command that you're giving 
while they're retrieving because there is that break-in period where they have to learn these commands. So what that command is going to do, that's going to be a restraint command because you're you're wanting the dog to heal back with you and not and not pull forward. Now we've also taught a place command, which means to get onto something, which means the dog needs to leave you and go somewhere. And we've done with, with this with the leash. And I also want to point out to people, they can go to the sport dog website and visually see all of the things that I'm talking about. Cause it's always it's always good to see it in action. So if you have a restraint command, I also want to have a command where I'm using the leash. I'm actually pulling the leash forward to get them to go onto something or into something. So we have a balance of, of restraint and then go to. So every every command will be different. But I want to make sure that the dog responds a little bit to the remote collar. If your dog vocalizes or or shows you know too much reaction, you're you're jumping up the line way too far. Your dog will tell you by the way they respond what level is right for them. And the healing command is probably the best if you have a dog that that pulls. So he's not pulling as much, pulling a little less. Now he's in a good position. And by going up a level, you know, if your dog's not responding up a level, up a level, up a level, you'll watch your dog respond to it and let them tell you what level they're at. And, and you're starting this process, you mentioned kind of at, at eight months, correct? Maybe a little yeah. later or, or is that pretty, that's pretty solid right there at eight months? Well, keep in mind that we're talking about, you and I right now, we're talking about a working dog, mm-hmm. a dog that that you want, you want drive. They have to have drive to work. You know what I mean? So you could take drive away from a dog fast, you know, no matter what you do, no matter what training you do by by just doing overcorrecting for them wanting to, you know, wanting them to be active. So uh, that's something that you want to keep in mind. We always want a balance of keeping the dog's drive level, mm-hmm. but then, okay, gradually starting to ask for more control out of them. Um, you know, you have, it's, it's very seldom we would see somebody who brought us a young dog where you go, wow, you, you've, you've had this dog way too far under control. That's normally not the situation. <laughs> yeah. So for us, if, if we're asking for, you know, these dogs to be under control, starting to use the remote collar, we're also balancing that by uh, taking breaks during the sessions and doing fun things. I mean, so we're always watching to make sure that we keep the dogs motivated as we're starting to ask for control. And now is there a um is there a, a potential I guess a model that you would recommend for people to start with or do you recommend like let's say example like the wetland hunter? Like should someone start with the wetland hunter if they're planning on hunting with, you know, the wetland hunter or is there a gradual process to this? I start, I actually use the 425X because it has all of the features that I'm talking about and mm-hmm. all the models do. That would be the the entry-level collar. Now, Sport Dog's got a lot of great products out there. Uh, a lot of the differences will be in, in the amount of range that you might have, uh, you know, for these retrievers, 500 yards of, of range. I mean, if, you, if your retriever is out 500 yards, you probably fell asleep somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, if you had a pointer... You know, maybe 500 yards is, you know, you need more than that. So uh, just the big thing is is get the model that's going to work for you. Uh, you know, the nice part about them, they're all waterproof, rechargeable. They they just have all of the variable intensity. And, and I got to tell people that the variable intensity on the dial uh, years ago, that, that changed dog training forever because I started training without any of those features. Mm-hmm. And the remote collar was was not, you know, let's say 30, 35 years ago, was not for the majority of the dogs. It was just too much. Now, you know, those those levels, those lighter levels working your way up 
I'm going to tell people they're less, they're less than if you're pulling on your leash. Wow. So uh, I always tell people that this is your invisible leash. That's, that's what you're going to be working with. When you're all done and finished, you have an invisible leash. And the beauty is your dog doesn't know that, okay, I can get 30 yards away from you. And I don't have to listen because you can't chase me and catch me to discipline me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 50 years ago when I started, I think most dog trainers weighed about 35 pounds because you were chasing Mm -hmm. dogs, trying to catch them to get them under control. Now these dogs understand because of this equipment that, you know, if I'm, you know, 30 feet or 300 yards, when I hear that command, that, that person has control of me. And the beauty of this, when we're all done and all done with all of this, they get in the habit of listening so well that very seldom are you going to give them a correction. And and that's what's really fun to see is that, you know, they understand, okay, I'm under control. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to tell me to give the, you know, give the command once. And then they have the option of responding or not responding. And that that's just a great part about the collar. Yeah, that's a great tool. One thing I was curious about while you were kind of talking about that is, you know, can you kind of describe, so like a, an entry level technique that you would use other than you, you, you mentioned like the, with the lead and maybe the place. Um, is there another entry level technique that, that you would use with every dog that, that you train um, that some of our listeners may be able to implement into their early training? Is, is there just one little technique that, that you may be able to share? Well, I mean, really where I, the description that I gave you is where, is where I would basically start. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with, with a control command and then a command to move. So you could start that same process by, and it always has to happen with the leash. You're starting it and you're going leash with the remote collar. So when when you'd put pressure on the leash for the command, you give the collar correction at the same time. And then gradually what you do is you give the command as the dog gets better with this, you use collar correction and follow with the leash. Okay. So what you're doing is a gradual weaning process off of it. And you know, to be honest with you, 99% of people want their dog to come when called. Mm-hmm. If if for no other command that they would do would be coming when called. So working on that heel command to begin with is actually one, it's a short version of come back to me, come back to me, yeah. right? Then we would go to the check cord, a long cord for people who don't understand that, it'd be mm-hmm. 30 feet or 50 and then we could give a a tug on the cord with your come command or we use here and then add the correction in with it. Uh, and, and don't be quick to get off the cord because really your dog is trying to figure out how to respond to the remote collar and your leash or your check cord is always your backup in case the dog doesn't understand. And then you can always add the leash in there because that's something you should have worked on for several months now. So the dog always has something to relate to that. Okay. Yeah. I understand what to do. So I'm not quick to like, okay, I'm doing the remote collar for two days and okay, we're set to go. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. That's a, that's, that's a big mistake. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of trainers, you know, amateur trainers probably do that. And I think a lot of that also is that excitement is once they, once they get some of those basic commands down, you know, they get excited to send that dog on a retrieve and watch it go without the leash or, or the check cord, I guess I should say. Um, and, and I'm sure that's just the excitement of the hunter, or of the dog and the, the trainer together kind of, you know, feeding off of each other, I would imagine, that that, that probably leads to that mistake. Um, as, as we move forward, as, as you get these basics, when are, you said you, you stick with the check cord longer, you know, on than most people, I guess. Right. And then you need, you need to also add, as your dog gets good with you with no distractions while you're training, don't have a bunch of things going on. 
Then, then start putting some distractions in your training. Another person that's there, um, and and maybe uh, another dog that's not running around with your dog, but somebody has another dog on leash. Those are going to distract your dog from paying attention to you. We put a lot of those in play when we have the leash and the check cord on because we want them to understand that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, you have to be responsive. But we would also have done those things with the leash and check cord without the remote collar. So what we're doing is we're just getting them to the point where they're going to be pretty much foolproof with whatever distractions that you're going to come up with. I mean, that that it's really important because you're, you're going to find that, hey, when we're all by ourselves, everything is really working good. As soon as the distraction comes, you're going to find out, ooh, you know, we're, we're really not there yet. So as you get really good with the check cord and the remote collar or the leash and the remote collar, start putting some distractions in there. You're also going to find probably at that point, you're going to have to go up a level or two or whatever it might be because you're going to see your dog probably blow off, you know, your command because the distraction is greater. So that's just your indication. You're like, okay, I guess that wasn't enough. Let's go up a level. Was that enough? No, maybe not. Let's go up one more level. And then, then gradually you can come back down. Yeah, and when you say distractions, you're also, I mean, this is a good time to introduce and probably have already done so on the check cord earlier, but also tie in in decoys. Um, you know, maybe it's field decoys or, uh, you know, something like that, that, you know, is a distraction for a dog who's never seen them. You know, I've, I've seen some other trainers who introduce some of these things at a fairly young age so that the first time they get out in the field, they're not just absolutely surprised. So, so would you recommend other distractions, you know, other than just dogs or people or, you know, actual hunting scenario type things at this age, or are you still waiting on that? Well, that would have been stuff that we would have already done. And and that's not really, if I'm introducing decoys, I'm going to have them in the, you know, in the yard and let the dog, you know, young one, just run through them. I'll have them on a leash and just walk through them. And I'm not going to discipline him, you know, at that point in time. I mean, he's got to sniff them. He's got to smell them. There's two reactions. They're either going to be uh, aggressive. Hey, I want to pick this up. Or they may be shy of them going like, well, what, what's this thing? And I definitely, if you had a, a dog that was unsure of them, I wouldn't want to give them a correction because you don't want your dog to be fearful to go through decoys. You know, you want your dog to go, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's just something here that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. So those, all those things would be separated and they wouldn't involve any kind of corrections right there or definitely not any remote collar corrections because the remote collar is, is so effective that I wouldn't want my dog to be afraid of decoys as well. So let's say if you were trash training, uh, don't chase a car. Don't do, you know, don't get in the garbage. I, we, we would refer to that as trash training. I want the dog to get a correction and then avoid that scenario. Yeah. But we don't want our dog to avoid decoys. We want our dogs because they're going to have to swim through them. You know? So uh, also, I wouldn't want a young dog, if I'm putting decoys out in the yard to walk through, I wouldn't want to have a, co- a check cord on them where it gets hooked on a decoy mm-hmm. and the dog sees it move and is afraid of it. And now he thinks that the decoy is chasing him. You know, some people have seen, especially a young dog, if they're swimming through decoys where they catch the line, yeah. you know, they hook oh, yeah. the line and that decoy is going to swing around behind him and it's going to start hitting him on the back of the head. Well, geez, they think they're getting chased, mm-hmm. you know? So there's a lot of little things on decoy introduction as well that, you don't want those problems to happen. When I'm training in the water with the decoys, you're going to be right on the shore's edge, you know, a foot out the water. And then gradually I'll put them out a little further, a little further. So 
Everything that you do, and I think this really even goes back to the remote collar training, everything you do needs to be slowly prepped, build confidence, and repetition. Because uh, anything you try to do fast can come to end up to bite you. And it's always hard to kind of undo something, especially if the dog has had a bad experience. You know, it's it's right under the surface and they're, they're always going to be like conscious of it. So if, if I'm going to give somebody advice, it's like, take your time. This is not a quick thing. Like I had problems with, you know, I went out hunting this last weekend. The dog wasn't listening. I'm going to go buy a remote collar and I'm going to have them ready for next weekend. That's it's not going to happen. It's the greatest training tool really that we've ever came across, but it's not a quick fix. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages. Every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. You know, there's probably a long list of mistakes that people make with those, and you've mentioned several already. What are some of the other, you know, common mistakes that you hear? I'll say amateur trainers, you know, people who are just are trying to train their own dog. What are some of the other common mistakes that people make at this stage in the game, you know, other than, you know, potential collar conditioning and things like that? Is there anything else that pops out to you? Well, I think the when to you know, when to use your collar also, as you've done, let's say you've gone through your collar conditioning. And I talked about, I'm not going to be using the collar in those early stages on, on any retrieving drills. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want my, I don't want my dog to think that every time he goes to pick something up, he's going to get a correction because now you can get him to the stage where he goes, well, you know, every time I go out to pick something up, I get corrected. Now, if you could sit down and explain to him, go, you know what? I just want to do this. So when you have something, you should come back to me. They don't understand that. They understand what am I doing at the time I'm getting correct. So that's that's something. And then let's say you have a dog that breaks. You know, you're in the blind and breaks. And now you start overcorrecting your dog, you know, early on for breaking. Well, what do you think the next step is? He says, well, why should I go? Yeah, he's not going to go. He's going to be scared. <laughs> Every time I, I, I get a, a heavy correction. Now, mm-hmm. we do correct these dogs gradually as time goes up when we're working with the cord, the check cord, you know, and, and then, but, but we're not overstimulating them with the collar to go because now you have a dog that goes, well, I'm not going to go. Well, your natural response is, well, whew, I better not ask him to, you know, to stay anymore. The, my only thing that I can think of is I just need to just let him go. Well, now you've just fed into the fact that now I have a dog that won't be steady. You know, he's just, I'm, I just got to let him break. So, so those preps on steadiness also for a duck dog would be done with the leash, the check cord gradually, and then, you know, then the remote collar. But once again, and, you know, and, and we're not even talking, you know, Chris, about having a dog force fetch to retrieve and, and, and all of the commands that could be reinforced. All of our dogs that go through a program you know, have all their obedience, uh, you know, reinforced with the remote collar. Their force fetching or, you know, trained retrieve conditioning is also, you know, uh, finished off with the remote training collar. So uh, what I'm saying is if you work hard on one command, it can affect something else that you're doing that you don't see coming down the line. Too much recall, too much recall where you're just really 
you know, here, come, 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 and getting corrected. Well, why won't my dog leave my side now? Yeah, I've seen that scenario, and this is something, and this is kind of me just curious, you know. Um, you know, I've been hunting with someone who who does have the dog on a collar, and the dog will break, but they don't necessarily, the dog is running out there, and and they kind of pause, they wait a little while, and, and it seems like then the dog doesn't even know what it's being corrected for. You know, once the dog, you, it's almost like, I guess I'm asking, this has to be an immediate correction in a situation like that, correct? Yeah, the, think about the hardest thing. You're, you're sitting there duck hunting, especially. You're watching the ducks come in, your dog is as well. Your attention is on jumping up and shooting. Mm -hmm. So where does that leave you with your dog? So by the time you get up, if your dog is anticipating and is thinking about breaking, by the time you you shoot, your dog is probably 10 yards out already. Oh, yeah. You know, so that that's a hard thing to do. So, you know, what we'll do with those younger dogs, you know, training is training because we really can control the environment. But with those young dogs on their first hunt or two, you know, I always suggest have your buddy shoot. You be right there with your dog so you can manage if if steadiness is important to you, so you can manage it on the spot. So it it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't manifest itself. I've seen these dogs get so bad that that you can just be sitting in the duck blind and there's no birds coming. If you click the safety, the dog will take off. Oh, yeah. They've gotten to the stage where all of those sequences come into place. So, uh, and I'll also tell people, let's just talk about steady because what does a duck dog have to do? He's got to sit, right? He's got to sit next to you. You knock a duck dog, a duck down, and then go pick it up and come back. So what is it? Sit and stay, go out and come. Yeah, I mean, it's really that basic, right? Mm -hmm. So when people are training, let's just say on a dog being steady, train on steady. Train on having the dog sit and stay there. You're not training the dog on, on retrieving. So, you know, throw a dummy. Don't send him. Or if you throw a dummy in the backyard... Depending on the dog's age now, if you have a dog that has some drive uh, and maybe just a little bit older, um, make him sit there for 10 minutes. You're working on steadiness. You're not working on retrieving. Now, if I have a puppy, obviously, you know, you're not going to ask him to sit there for 10 minutes. You know, and I'll even be out hunting. And if I've got, you know, a seasoned dog and, you know, let's say I'm hunting over water, if I'm hunting land and we knock some birds down. And especially if it's water and I know that it's not going to drift away on me. It might float out there for 15 minutes, and then I'll and then I'll send them. So what they're learning through your training, and they're they're only going to learn by what you're doing in the backyard, is that retrieving is based on if I see something fall, it's not going to be 1,001, 1,002, and then my owner's going to send me. So if you're working on something, work on that task. You're not working on retrieving there. If you're working on steadiness, work on steady. You know, and then if you're working on retrieving, work on retrieve. Same way with all of this collar conditioning stuff. Uh, and think about if you're working on all your commands. I want my dog to sit and stay with the remote collar. I want my dog to lay down with the remote collar. I want to do these things. Well, if you're using gradually using the remote collar 99% of the time for coming when called, right, for recall, now you tell the dog you want him to sit and stay and you and he and he's maybe not responding and you give a collar correction, he's probably gonna come running to you. And you go, wait, wait, what no, I, I told you to sit and stay. Well, what have you been doing 99% of the time? You've been do, working on recall. So when you get to the stage where we're reinforcing all the commands, whether it's with the leash or the remote collar, balance it. You know, spend time on each individual command. And then when you're doing maintenance training on a dog like these older dogs, spend equal amount of time on every command that you're going to be working on. Because if you overdo one command, 
that's going to be your dog's major response. Yeah, that that definitely leads into kind of the next segment of this where, you know, these older dogs who are experienced, um, have you seen just, you know, in your experience, have you seen these older dogs have a tendency to be more collar conditioned just because they've, they've used them for six, seven years, you know, and, and they maybe have created their own idea of what this is. Um, have you seen some of that with the older dogs? And if so, like, how do you go about breaking that? I think the older dogs, you know, for them, if they if it's been done right and they've they've had the collar conditioning, tuning them up is not as big as adventure as it was 25, 30 years ago. I mean, it was, it, you know, you you can hunt a dog several times, you know, maybe four or five times, and all of a sudden, you know, little things start coming up, little problems start coming up, and it would always take us longer to get that dog back into the habit. Nowadays, these dogs that have had a full collar conditioning. You can put them back into some some basic drills and 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 maybe get a correction where they've where you know where they've disobeyed and, and they'll come back around really quick. And most of the time with these older dogs, it's first thing, it's first time out during the season. In a lot of cases, is you watch for your steadiness. I mean, because they're they're excited, they want to go, they want to make the retrieve. So right out of the shoot, it's are they going to be steady? Be ready for that correction. It's it's normally not on these older dogs. Will they come to me? Will they come back? That's that's not it. It's it's are they going to be steady? So watch for that immediately. Uh, a little drill that you can do with an older dog, and you'll catch him making this mistake, is when nothing's going on, uh, jump up like you're going to shoot because you're going to see are they are they anticipating breaking, and but then be ready to get a correction in. Or you can even jump up and shoot when nothing's going on, and you're going to catch him breaking. And make a correction. So you can get them to the point when you when you jump up quickly, they understand that uh, that means sit here and stay. You know, most people are in the backyard. They're standing up and they throw a dummy, right? They throw a dummy. They throw a dummy. Or they go to the water, they're standing and throwing a dummy. How many times are you sitting down and jumping up to throw a dummy? Yeah, that's a good point. Right? I mean, it's the sequence, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, jump it's up, all part you know, of the process. Jump up quick and shoot. Jump up quick and shoot. Well, they see that. And, you know, they're going to get in the habit of that's when I'm going to break. So you have to set these things up. And pretty soon with these older dogs, they go, I, I smell a setup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They yeah. go, ah, no, I'm not falling for that one. But but you want to set that sequence up. Yeah. And that's what we try to do in training prior to the season is set up those sequences so the dog starts sensing what, you know, what you're really after. Now, one question that, you know, I've been asked by email, uh, not necessarily a listener, but someone from social media, uh, using the e-collar in avoidance training. So, you know, if they're, let's say, I know a lot of people, I know in Minnesota, you probably don't have this problem near as much, but down here in the South, uh, especially training in early spring and, and parts of the summer, um, there's a lot of snakes. And is that, is that something where you would use the e-collar in that process as well as, as an avoid, and it could be anything that you want that you mentioned like the trash can. That's what it reminded me of that email. Um, is that something that you would use that? And how do you go about that process? Yeah, not, and that's important because, you know, you get in the Western States or the Southern States, snakes are a big thing. So yeah. uh, it, it's, it's the same thing. You might call it avoidance. You know, it's just, a, I just say it's a variation of trash breaking. Mm-hmm. Trash breaking means don't do, you know, don't do that. Don't yeah. go after that. Uh, I, I know, you know, we hunt in Arizona, we hunt quail out in Arizona and, you know, it's important to have those dogs all conditioned and with the remote collar there. Now it's a little different. They're, they're not going to start off on a light setting on something like that. They want to make a huge statement when they make a, a correction on snake 
you know, snake avoidance. Um, so they're 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 going to run that collar up there pretty pretty high because that dog shows any indication. I mean, they want a severe correction, and and so that would that would vary a little bit, and that would be the same thing. Let's say you had a dog that when you're trash breaking now, okay, a dog that is going to chase a car. Well, I mean, you're saving their life basically by doing this type of training. You'd make a heavy correction now. Preferably, you know, preferably, I'd I'd, I'd want my dog to be collar conditioned on all of its commands because we're not going to go to the highest level, you know, on the majority of all dogs on something like this. Um, then you want a higher setting. Uh, you know, hound trainers have been at this forever. You know, chasing deer, chasing unwanted game. Uh, they weren't doing a lot of obedience training with their hounds. They just didn't want them chasing certain things. And they would set them up with with a pretty high correction. So, uh, yeah, but it's important, you know, to do that. But if that's your dog's first first correction with a collar is is trash and you're setting it really high, I want to tell you then if you went back and then you started your basic obedience training. And even if you started on a light level, your dog is going to react a lot of cases on those light levels like it is a super high level because their first experience was super high, right? So now you might be going on a light level and your dog is overreacting, which you don't want your dog overreacting where they're they're panicked about any kind of commands. You want, you want those light levels to begin with and then work it up. Now, if you worked it to a certain level, and now you go in trash break, I think it's different. I just do. I think it's different. You know, we haven't even talked about like in-ground fencing, you know, uh, for your yard and stuff. Um, a lot of those things, those conditioning processes are the same. Not started on super high level, and then they gradually work up your dog will, you know, find a level where, you know, their correction is going to be right for them. So I think as we talk about all of this, if you're doing obedience training or you're getting your sporting dog, you know, you know, condition for working in the field, but working happy, working with high drive, but under control, you start light level and work your way up. If you went, then you went to trash breaking, you just go up higher. Yeah. And I think you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head throughout this whole thing with the process, you know, encouraging people, one, to take it slow, but also the, the full process of conditioning and obedience training, all that needs to be in place. Um, and then the introduction to the collar, there's no real reason to rush this. Um, and, and I think you've, you've really hit the nail on the head there. And I think that that's a great takeaway uh, for our audience who are out there either curious about getting into, you know, training or uh, in the process of, you know, there's, there's some people, we have people here at Ducks Unlimited who have their dogs out at lunch and they're running drills and things like that. So um, it's all a good, it's all a really good lesson in, in patience. And I think that, and for me, it's not, I'm not, I always say I'm a pretty mediocre dog trainer, uh, but, you know, as a true amateur dog trainer, um, I think that that's one thing to to really keep in mind. So that's great. I, my last question for you, Tom, we'll get you out of here. Can you think of one example? And this just kind of popped in my head. Um, can you think of one example where the introduction of the e-collar was just an absolute savior? You know, where you, someone maybe brought you a dog and was like, hey, we're having problems with this. We're having problems with this. And you introduced that collar. Is there one example of that that really sticks out in your mind? Well, I, I think, you know, it might even be broader than that because the majority of the dogs we train nowadays are family dogs. Mm -hmm. So they live in the house. They live in the house. So this isn't dad's dog that lives in the backyard and, yeah. and mom has no contact or could care less about, you know, what's going on. I mean, so what, what's really, what's really a big thing is when we get this hunting dog fully trained, uh, we bring mom in as well. Cause, cause we want her to know how to understand 
how to have that dog behaving and responding to her. And what happens there is now this family pet gets a tremendous amount of freedom because mom has control of this dog as well and and has the response. She doesn't have to be able to bench press 500 pounds to control the dog anymore. The remote collar took care of all of that. So let's say a number three level, you know, for me, if I'm training, if I hand that dog over to my wife, she's not a dog trainer. If I hand it over, he goes, the dog's on a number three. You know, one correction and the dog goes, yep, you're the boss. Now now think about all of the places that these dogs will go with the family because they have a well-behaved dog. So that gratification, you know, from those owners going, you know what? It's like we have a brand new dog, you know, a, a part of the hunting end of it. We have a brand new dog, but we enjoy it so much more now because the dog's happy but is responsive. And I, I think when we start talking, you know, remote collars, it's it's not how often you use it. It's the fact that these dogs end up being such good citizens because they control whether they get corrected or not. And they're happy about that. They know their place. And then more importantly, the owners are happy as well. No, that's a that's awesome. That's a really good point, Tom. I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, and I don't really even know anyone that I hunt with that has a dog, like you mentioned, that's like an outside dog that their wife doesn't deal with them. You know, that that family aspect of the, re- the retriever is so crucial um, to be a part of the training process. You know, I think that that's one thing, another thing for everyone to remember. Right. Yeah, and that's changed. I mean, I would say 30 plus years ago, the scenario was it was dad's dog. Now, now, you know, this is a family dog slash hunting dog. I mean, we're the same way. I mean, our dogs are in the house with us. Uh, on the same hand, they're, they're watching you to see <laughs> how consistent you're going to be as well. You know, you know, are, are, are you going to be consistent on, on making me respond and, and be behaved or are you going to slack off? So they're kind of a true reflection of how consistent we are, too. Yeah, I don't know one dog that is is not willing to take the risk to try and test the boundaries uh, just to see, you know, I've been around <laughs> some very, do. very we, good. We, we did it as kids, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've been around some very well-mannered dogs, but even the best are willing to maybe test it on occasion, you know, just to, just to try it. Well, Tom, this has been fantastic. Um, I appreciate you coming on, uh, talking about sport dog products. It's been great. I hope that our audience was able to take away, you know, this long list of, of good training tips that you've brought to the forefront and the products. Um, it's been a great conversation. We'll have to get you back on again. You bet. And Chris, just a follow-up is that, you know, people can go to that sport dog website and see the videos of, of the things that we talked about today too. So, you know, I'd encourage them to go to there as well. Absolutely. Uh, people can visit sportdog.com. Check out all those videos. Uh, walk through some of the actual processes that Tom was describing in this podcast. It's a, it's a great resource. Thanks again, Tom. I really appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. I'd like to thank my guest, Tom Dockin, for joining us today and talking about sport dog products and introducing e-collars and everything you could possibly imagine about e-collars. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us in supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog 
are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.